Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The world has become a rather hopeless place. And so we find that the season of Advent is more needed than ever. The season of Advent is the season of hope. We look back to that greatest of all hopes that was fulfilled in the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And through the fulfillment of that hope, we see and glimpse the future fulfillment of all the things we now hope for in Christ Jesus. It is a time for us as Christians to be refreshed in the hope of the Lord. One of the three great theological virtues that St. Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 13, hope is placed alongside of faith and love, the greatest of which, Paul says, is indeed love. There are ways in which these three virtues, faith, hope, and love, overlap with one another, and at times are even used synonymously for one another. But hope stands out at least in these ways. It is a hope that is a looking forward to something in the future. That something may indeed be based on an explicit word of God, like the return of Christ that we heard of today in in the text from the prophet Malachi. But it also may be hope in something that's not explicitly stated in the scriptures. A hope that we might have, for example, we might find a new job in the next year. We might find a Christian spouse or have children the hope for some other temporal blessing. Christian hope like this is predicated not so much on an explicit word of God, but on the character and nature of our God, that he is good and kind and always has in mind what's best for us, even if we don't always see it that way. Our culture, for many reasons today, is inimical to hope. In the first place, there's not much left for which we may hope. If you hope for it, just pull out your phone, get on your Amazon app, and you might have it that afternoon. Our instant gratification culture limits hope in that regard and gives us no cause to exercise it. But likewise, as we've diagnosed so many times in the world of finance, in the world of politics, in the world of entertainment, we see everything so thoroughly corrupted, we often think to ourselves, it's beyond hope. In place of this comes discouragement and discouragement that leads to despair. And discouragement and despair result in those three things that our Lord lists. Dissipation, drunkenness, 
and the cares or worries or concerns of this life, which is to say that when we feel hopeless, we need to be on guard lest we fall into discouragement, despair, and other great shame and vice. Where we find ourselves in these things, we have ample opportunity to repent and to return to the Lord, the one who St. Paul calls the God of hope. Hope runs deeper than mere pessimism or mere optimism. Whether you think the glass is half full or half empty, you may yet hope to drink it and hope that it will be every bit as delicious and refreshing as it looks. God fills our lives with concrete hopes promised in his scriptures, but as stated briefly a moment ago, with anything we can hope for that is not contrary to his word, predicated and based upon the goodness of his divine and eternal nature. St. Paul directs us to the scriptures as that which encourages us to all hope. And I would like to briefly run you through a number of scriptural accounts of great hope. The first brought to our minds earlier in Paul's letter to the Romans is the great hope of Abraham, who was considered not only the man of faith, but also the man of hope. And to be Abraham's children, as we are, are to be sons and daughters of hope. Abraham was promised by God that through him would come the great seed through, all, through which all the other families of the earth would be blessed. Why did Abraham have to hope in this? Why did it seem so unlikely? Because he himself was too old to have children. His wife, Sarah, too old to have children. Plus, she was barren. But he hoped against hope. And in believing, the scriptures say, he became the father of many children. From the barren womb, from this impossible circumstance, God does indeed fulfill hope and call forth Isaac and the line of Christ through which all the families of the earth, ours included, are blessed. If we go forward from Abraham to Isaiah, we find ourselves some 1,400 years into the future and Isaiah refers to the root of Jesse. And that is a point that Paul grasps hold of as well in this section of Romans. The root of Jesse, the heir of David, comes to rule the Gentiles and thus to fill us with hope. The image of hope comes first from an image of cursing. Much like the barren womb that then is blessed to bring forth Isaac, here it is a stump, 
the family tree of Jesse, the family tree of David, cut off. Isaiah, born in 730 B.C., would live to see Assyria sweep down and erase the ten tribes of the north. And he could see and prophesy the handwriting of, on the wall that Babylon would come and sweep away Judah in the south. He brings to mind then this image of the line and throne of David being cut off like a tree cut down, nothing more than a stump. And from this stump, he prophesies, would come a shoot. This shoot, he also and strangely calls a root. As if to show us in one and the same image, how that shoot that comes forth from the stump, Christ, is both David's son and yet this shoot is also a root that precedes the tree. He is David's Lord. This great hope of David, this great hope of Isaiah, fulfilled when the root takes root in Mary's womb and is born, bringing back to life that tree of David. In the next generations, the power of Assyria wanes and the power of Babylon comes forth. King Nebuchadnezzar begins to exile the brightest and best from Judah, taking them captive to serve him in his nation. Among them are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. One story to recall to your mind of great hope is that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar had raised a great idol, and as he had conquered all the nations and brought the brightest and best to his capital, that they might serve him in his cabinet, as he erected this image, he saw all the nations of the earth worshiping this idol that he had stood in the midst. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. The king had threatened that whoever refused to worship this idol of the state would be cast into the burning furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to be cast into the furnace, but not without first giving a testimony of their faith. And it's such a beautiful statement of hope. They said to the king, Our God is able to save us from this. But if he doesn't, even still we will not worship your false God. A beautiful statement of hope that God would, in fact, save them from the fiery furnace, but if he did not, that God would call them safely home to himself. Hope in one form or hope in the other. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fire, the men carrying them were consumed and died because the flames were so hot. 
being cast into the fire, these men were spared, and in fact, in their midst, a fourth man appears, one who is described as being like the son of the gods. Any guesses who that was? Christ with them in the fiery furnace. As Babylon's power wanes, they become subject to Persia. And ultimately, God allows his people back to the promised land to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city Jerusalem that the Babylonians had destroyed. All seemed to be going right, and yet the faithlessness of the people continued on, causing the prophet Malachi, who wrote his book somewhere around 430 B.C., to view an image of darkness and perpetual darkness that shrouded the people. He saw for the people of Israel, even though the temple and city had been rebuilt, that things were, from a human standpoint, hopeless. And there are many parallels to this era in Israel's history with Isaiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Malachi to our own. We see the oppression of a state. We see hopeless darkness. But this final image of hope that Malachi gives is one of a great and final sunrise. The sun dawns, and as it dawns, its fiery rays consume the wicked. But to those who fear the Lord, to those who trust in his name, that same sun stretches out in a glorious sunrise with its beams as wings. And that sun of righteousness dawns and shines upon us and healing is in its wings. That is to say, all the things that cause us to be discouraged, to despair, all of these things are answered in the coming of that great sunrise, in the final coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. So again and finally, I want you to consider the barren womb. I want you to consider the dead stump. I want you to consider that fiery furnace that appeared so final. I want you to consider the darkness that seems like it will never end. I want you to consider the impotence, the frustration, and the discouragement that you have felt and feel still. I want you to look at the cross of Jesus and see how hopeless that looks. But our God is a God of hope. Jesus was born. Jesus is risen. And just as God has promised, Jesus will come again. In that day, Every longing, every godly hope will be met 
in him. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with him is plentiful redemption. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.